This is the Creepscast. All right, everybody. Welcome to the first ever live recording of the Creepscast. We're back. I'm back. It's Crease Cave season. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's really cold and like, crappy out. So It's cold and crappy out, but inside it is nice and it's a happy day. Is it, it is. Not? It's like waking up on Christmas morning. Where, it is. That's a great way of putting it. I mean, it, <laughs> remember those Christmas mornings when you're growing up when dad came home and he said, hey, son, the boss has got fired. It's wonderful news. <laughs> Here's a yeah. Christmas present. Yeah, uh, that's exactly. It's that's not like it's not quite like that. Um, no. For those that don't know, the Vancouver Canucks made some changes over the weekend. What kind of changes, Cody? Well, I've heard some that is fairly important changes, like you know, just a couple things here and there, nothing too major. Um, just uh, what was it? Travis Green, Nolan Bob Gardner fired from the coaching staff, and uh, Jim Benning and John Weisbrod uh, getting fired from the management staff. Which you know, little changes, little, little, little changes. small changes to try and Just, uh, a, it, salvage the season. It's all very, it's it's small potatoes. It's not that, it's not that crazy. A uh, teams do this change. stuff all the all time. the time. Yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, obviously, I guess we'll have to quickly touch into the game that actually kind of spurred this whole monumental shift in the organization uh, this past weekend. I uh, didn't watch the game, but I was it. I was at a game that was pretty much the same thing as the Canucks four to one loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins. I was uh, in Abbotsford for the Abbotsford Canucks. I think it was what was it six four loss to the San Jose Barracuda, the so Western sorry. Conference's worst team. Yeah, and uh, I mean they both games kind of unfolded the exact same way. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins get out to the early lead. Then, what was it, three consecutive power plays? Oh, God. It was, yeah, jeez, that whole game. Like, I'll admit, I was just so, like, in the lead-up to that game, I honestly forgot they were playing, and I was like, (laughs) oh, I don't want to sit through this at all. Like, I was so not – and that's where everybody was at. Like, everybody was got, had gotten to the point where they're like, do I have to? It felt almost like torture that we're having to sit through and watch all this. And – then yeah, there's the power like the power the, the multiple PKs. There was the one call on Tyler Mott that was a little soft. Like it was yeah. definitely like a yeah, he kind of just barely touched Chris Letang. It's not really like a anything. He major. sold it really well. <laughs> he sold it very well. And but then there were the like the two Miller uh, penalties that were very avoidable. There was the Tucker Poom and Puck over glass. <sighs> God. Just like Tucker. all of the team's like most primary penalty killers all going to the box, like all at the exact same time. It was like an inevitability at that point where you just knew they were going to lose. A hundred percent. Like it was just a case of like as soon as like you're seeing the three of them sitting in the box and you're just like, This is this is how this is how it ends. This is how how it all ends. Or at least it kind of there was a feeling of maybe that would be it, but again, we've had that feeling yeah. so many times over yeah. the last like however many weeks that by yesterday i wasn't even thinking about it like no no me neither like it sucks for travis green obviously because i'm sure you know after the bubble performance he expected a lot more out of the rosters he was given and then to have the start that he's had it's obviously not gone the way he wants he wanted the team to be more defensive didn't really work wanted the team to be better offensively didn't really work and then he's given a defensive group that has one or two left shot uh, defenseman in 
Hughes and Ekman Larson, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them PKs. One of them. Which you just knew when the stats started coming out being like they are on track to have historically the worst PK in NHL history. You're just like, oh, well, this isn't going to get better because they kind of made their bed with this roster and it would take like a lot to bring in a left shot defenseman who can PK because there's nothing else in the system. Yeah. And especially because the way things were going, the general manager wasn't going to get any leeway to make that move, to get that right, to get that right shot defenseman. So you were in trouble. Like you were in trouble either way. Because yeah, it would have been an an admission that, Oh, maybe we didn't build this team properly in the off season. Yeah. uh, God, I wonder if that, geez, if only that, that, uh, that maybe they'd accept that at some point, you know, maybe there'll be a day where they'll, they'll accept that something is wrong. Oh wait, that was today. They kind of did. That was yeah, or yesterday, sort of. They didn't, yeah, they didn't do anything yesterday except for fire everybody and then put out a statement at ten thirty at night. That being was like, yeah. By the way, we did all this. Yeah, so I feel like okay, we have to get to it because this is the this is the whole reason anybody is watching. This is the whole reason we're doing a live show. Hi everyone on YouTube is watching this Hello, right now YouTubers. in person. And if you're not, if you're listening to this on the normal the normal way on your right, drive to work on the Tuesday morning, uh, or something. Where were you, Cody, when you, the the tweet? that um the first tweet went down yeah the first because the first bomb was uh elliot friedman saying that it wasn't that anyone had been fired it was that bruce boudreau was going to be the new head coach of the vancouver canucks before anyone got fired where were you in that when that tweet when that tweet went i i actually think i slept in until noon or something like that because obviously i was in abbotsford the previous night working really late on the game recap etc etc and then slept in as I needed to. And then I went grocery shopping. And while I was grocery shopping was when the first like tweets started trickling in, like, oh, something's happening. And then by the time I got home, put away all my groceries, kind of vegged out on the couch. And then I started watching Succession. And uh, in the middle of watching Succession, that's when everything started hitting the fan. And... Uh, <laughs> poor Roxy's like are you watching the show I'm like I am I am paying attention but y- you don't understand everything is happening right now <laughs> all of the news is happening right now I need to be dialed in <laughs> and it's really hard to like you know be dialed into breaking news from every single Canucks insider and it's not just like you know a trade getting broken right it this is like a monumental shift in the organization. It's an admission that what we've been doing hasn't worked. And it's after eight years of pretty much just tripping over themselves over and over. So when this news drops, it's really quite significant because it's probably like a change at this level is probably not going to happen again for another five, six years, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I mean, yeah, like, well, you'd, you'd you'd think. Hopefully, you'd think, I mean, hopefully we get some. We get a, a new GM at some point. Well, yeah, I, mean, I was gonna say it, like, you but don't yeah, want, you're you, right. In like the perfect world, a GM that lasts eight years, like Jim Benning did, is because of the success that he's had building a roster, building a credible depth pool, prospect pool, building a team that is playoff bound and ready to compete on a year to year basis. Unfortunately, after eight years. They didn't do any of that. They're nope. pretty much at square one, like the fir- like the final year of the uh, Gillis regime, where it was like the cupboards were bare. They were ready to turn things around in a hurry, and we're just getting into 
uh, cyclical time thing here right now where it's just like, oh, we're looking at this roster, and if, you know, we flip Tucker Pullman, if we flip uh, Bo Horvat or JT Miller, maybe we can turn this thing around in a hurry. What you mean? The guys we got just because just to start to end the the rebuild. Now you're telling me we need to do it again, but get rid of them. Like, <laughs> oh my god, yeah. So where I was at again, you and I were both in the spot where it was like we weren't thinking about it at all, right? Because mm-hmm. it was very much a God. They're gonna do this. They're gonna sit here for the rest of the uh, like at least the until the new year and basically yeah. go. This is it. This is this is this is the team. This is all we got. Um, and they would have just uh, like let it go in that in that kind of direction. And yesterday, uh, my friend was over. We were watching like uh, we were watching Rogue One. Uh, and earlier that day, ironically, I had been watching Return of the Jedi, which I think is a very <laughs> apt description for the like the of where we're at as a fan base today. And in the in the moments after that, the, the firing dropped. And I'll give that explanation in a second, but. <laughs> Um, we were watching and she was, and she's like, Hey, the Canucks are hiring Boudreaux. I'm like, no, they're not. And she's like, yeah, she shows me the tweet and I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it to, I'm looking at it so hard because I see the Elliot Friedman name next to it. And I'm like, somehow this is Mr. Booth. I, yeah, don't, know I don't know how, how he's done it. I don't know how he found Fridge's password, <laughs> but I know he did. Like I'm, I have, I, I have never scanned a tweet harder for I- where is where is the incorrect letter? Where is the where is the the non the not yeah. verified sticker? I was and, in the same boat, like where you just we're at a point of apathy and just disbelief that any change was ever going to happen. And we had heard like a week ago, like oh the team is going to do a huge audit. They're going to take their time to make the right decisions. So you and I were on the same page of like nothing's going to happen for like a long time. Like it's just yeah. the way it's going to go. I get it. They just spent a lot of money on Travis Green to renew him for this season. They just signed a bunch of guys at a pretty hefty price tag. Like it would be like in their best interest to take a patient approach and maybe think this one out before they rushed any anything rash. Yeah. And then normally in these situations you hear about the coach being fired first. Like you hear the news drop, like Travis Green is out as head coach. Nolan Baumgartner is out as head coach. But the first news we got, like you said, was Bruce Boudreaux's been hired by the Canucks. Which, which? on this at the time based on the information that we had sounded like a really bad idea not because Bruce Boudreaux isn't a good coach or something mm-hmm. he is a, he's a coach that obviously he has a track record with teams like Anaheim like Minnesota Washington, Washington yeah. all these teams that were when he was there they were very successful in terms mm-hmm. of getting into the playoffs and being able to compete regularly they sure they never won, do they never it, they never won but... they're often considered like the teams that choked a lot or didn't yeah. and didn't live up to their expectations but from a Canucks standpoint that kind of stuff is moot because they weren't the Canucks right now as they're constructed are clearly not a playoff team yeah. so it didn't really matter so it was one of those situations where it's like uh, again assuming at the time that Jim Benning was still going to be there and that this was still going to be his call and his thing it was like well what's the point this is just shuffling deck chairs like Bruce yeah. Boudreaux is not going to come in here and fix anything because yeah. there's nothing for him there's nothing anyone can do to really write this ship to a point where they are clearly playing as a playoff team again. Like there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing there for that. Yeah. It, it definitely felt like when the Boudreaux knows news dropped, it was just kind of like, Oh, uh, Jim's been able to hire another coach. This is all just, you know, 
putting a shiny sparkler in the cake and hoping people are distracted by the shininess and ignore the fact that happy birthday is spelled wrong. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm having an existential crisis. Like it doesn't matter. Everyone eat Arby's. Uh, we're all going <laughs> to die. Yeah. This is meaningless. Life <laughs> is meaningless. So who cares? Yeah. This is all, this is all pointless. Once we leave our, our human bodies. Yes. But then, <laughs> it doesn't matter. but then the actual news drops that word is out that Benning is out. Wisebrod is out. Some significant changes happening with the upper management staff and a coalition, a collaborative effort involving Chris Gear, Ryan Johnson, the Sedines and sorry, the Sedines led by Stan Smeal as the interim assistant GM. That collaborative will work together to identify and find a president of hockey operations and GM or a confluence of both roles depending on the fit of the next person. And for you and I, who have spent the, the better part of our podcasting career together, uh, have spent the time basically being like, why is Jim still the GM? Why does this team not have a president of hockey ops? What are they doing? This is just wheel spinning the series. Year eight, nothing's changed. And finally things changed. And everyone, I think, was so apathetic and just like, who cares, that it was just kind of like a joyous moment to actually see change of any kind being done on a Sunday night on a Sunday night. Like it wasn't even like they were necessarily trying to bury it or anything. Right. Like, cause Sunday's, yeah. a, Sunday's a prime day for news. You know, they always joke about that. The, um, that when you're trying to like bury news or something like that as a team, you're usually doing it on like a Friday afternoon because there's not, uh, cause even in today's world, um, there's no newspaper on Saturday generally. So once the Friday deadlines have been hit, that's when a lot of teams still generally is when they're like, oh, by the way, whoops, we're just going to quickly yeah. slide this we're in here. slide this bad and, news in there. And I think the – and actually to kind of add on to the whole why it kind of came out of left field uh, was because, you know, Saturday, head, Saturday night headlines are usually where we get the Canuck – front like the update on the Canuck front either from Friedman or Jeff Merrick or or uh, someone else and that was nowhere to be found like there like there was a little like they touched on it but very clearly especially considering last week the Canadians fired Mark Bergevin uh it clearly wasn't front of mind for anybody at that point at that moment in time Mm -hmm. and it was kind of one of those things where it's like oh clearly the this story is just not even if it's it's gonna it's gonna be around the surface but it's not going to be top of mind again until something happens yeah and then something happens and oh boy it was a i'll say this like you know for all of how sad it's been on canucks twitter of late and it's been bad it's been bad um this is the this was one of the best days for this. I feel I, I okay. I feel very very bad because I feel very very bad in the sense of like to be very to be fair like it at the end of the day Jim Benning is a person and John Wise brought we up are people. all persons though <laughs> oh, to be fair so true. It's one of those things where it's like you do feel bad in the sense of like well you know they're 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 probably nice people they're probably like as far as like when we're talking about non-hockey situations like they're probably nice human beings they're probably uh nice uh well we never decent know people. you don't know we don't know for sure i mean but this like, guy backstabbed jim ben- or not jim benning trevor linden so uh, i mean can we really uh, say he's uh yeah he's a nice guy yeah it's yeah it's one of those things where it's like you know even if you know even if they're out of a job you do want to be like oh you know 
not to tap dance on anybody's like grave or something like that. It's not, you know. I, I would like to push back on that and say this guy's tap danced on many players' graves on their way out. So I, I don't know if he's owed that kind of courtesy just because he came off a very affable person in how honest he was during press conferences. That, uh, that might be true. That might honestly be true. Like, that is a sense of, like, there were a lot... There have been a lot of cases, particularly with Jim Benning, where it was, like, there was a player on the way out, and they just straight up kick him on the way out the door, and it was like, yeah, why needlessly. did you need to do that? Like, like the, the Sven Berchi thing always comes to mind for me, where it's like, you know, we sent him to the minors, we're going to try and find him an NHL home somewhere, and then... Uh, <laughs> Through like through no provocation, he he just offer up like, yeah, you know our team's gotten better since uh, we picked up Sven. We uh, we don't have space in our roster for soft skill. We uh, <laughs> we we're all about hard skill now. It's yeah, like just killing any trade value he might have had by shitting on his capabilities as a player. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it was a uh, that was yeah that whole situation. There was that. There was the whole um. There was the John. There was the the whole Dolan asking for a trade, and when it came, and then it came out that he hadn't. Uh, there yeah. was there have been a lot of things like that uh, over yeah, the years, bit. which is why you know again it's a case of I I feel bad on the sense of like just like the it's got to be really imba- it's got to be really tough for you like I don't know how if Jim Benning even has a burner account on Twitter I'm sure I'm sure every honestly I'm sure every general like even like GM at, uh, of a pro sports team probably yeah. does at this point whether or not they're the ones checking it or maybe like their kid right. or some or like an assistant is checking it for them is another kind of thing. Yeah. Um but like it has to be very hard for you as a person when again you're seeing like he talked about it not that long ago about the whole like it's very hard to see you know people uh calling publicly for you to be fired on such a grand scale. And again that's why I talked about the fact that like in a recent article for Canucks Army about like how at the end of the day, if you truly, if you're the, if you're ownership, you should value them as people enough to be like, I'm not going to put you through this for mm-hmm. the rest of the year because that would not be cool. Cause that would be really shitty of me to do. It would be a very bad thing for me to do. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was a case of, they needed to cut the cord as quickly as they could. And again, it was a case of, Oh, they didn't need to wait for the perfect GM candidate to come around. They've got interim Stan Smeal here now. Uh, who they've had in the organization for a long time. I'm honestly surprised this hasn't been something Decades. that's come up for him before. I'm surprised that's never been a thing before. Um, well, the interesting thing was in it, his availability day, today when he said he saw the jersey thrown on the ice and felt compelled to step in and do more for the organization or to step up and offer a cha- more challenge, challenging opinion to ownership on the direction of the club. So maybe... You know, he's been in the background for, like, the past couple of years, obviously since Lyndon left, and I know Lyndon and Smeal had, like, a really close relationship because, obviously, Smeal's been, like, an executive throughout Lyndon's entire career, even as the coach. Like, like Smeal's been around for, like, ever, Smeal, they, right? I, Lyndon and Smeal played together. Like, they, yeah. played, they played for, I believe, two, three years together, or at least, because I think and Smeal then retired. retired yeah, and Smeal then became re- the assistant coach. Yep. He so, immediately went right to the – he went right from – playing to coaching uh to uh yeah the front office yeah and that has been talked about before in the past is that one of the things that people noticed and i i think you and i have talked about this before because i know i know at one point you were working on something in relation to like stan smeal i was with the club and i got denied yeah and one of the things that you we brought we talked about and i think a lot of people have talked about is that once Lyndon left 
his influence in particular seemed to be really scaled back. Like yeah. he, they were, it really seemed like he was like, he was there in title only. And the fact that he had, it an was office, like, a, like that was it. Yeah. Like a figurehead position, right? Like, yeah. Hey steamer, like you can come in, you can watch you the can games, take a you can evaluate people and we'll ask you for your opinions at the draft and what have you. But like really, but going forward, uh, where you're not, you're yeah, not, you're not really part of the brain really trust or whatever, right? Like yeah. John Weisbrod is going to be that it, guy for us. It was one of, you know what it was? It was one of those cases where I think Jim Benning or like that, that brain trust could, it, it was the one p- person, one person that no matter what they could never say, try and get rid of, like they could never fire. Like yeah. they can't go to, you Francesco, go to Francesco Aquilini go. and be like, hi, I'd like to fire Stan yeah. Smeal because this guy who's been a legacy no. person for you the since guy, the seventies, like guy who has worked under every single ownership group, except the first one. Like, no, you're never good. You, that yeah. was never going to yeah. fly. All you with, could do was minimize what he brings. Yeah, exactly. Or, or the amount of sway he might have. Exactly. And maybe, maybe Stan Smeal just saw the right opportunity to strike to, Rain in take some back control and some power back to himself. When the jerseys got tossed, he went to Francesco and said, Hey, this is unacceptable. Like we're like a joke. Uh whatever was done in this past off season, it's not working. Uh we need a significant change up here moving forward or we're gonna lose the fan base. And they made it. They made it. They made some significant changes. Um I just wanted to say when I found out uh what? The result of the Penguins game. I was at the Abbotsford Canucks game with a friend of the program, Chris Faber. Oh, lovely guy. And uh, I, I don't know, it was like the second period or something. And the game was like, it was fun enough. Like, it, like say what you want H- about like, how bad it is. Like, AHL hockey is fun because it's so up and down. AHL hockey is great. Like, anyone who disparages against AHL hockey, I don't understand it. it. It's good hockey. Like, it, you know what it is? is it's a lot because of the fact that the players aren't as like necessarily as polished or as like good as like NHLers there's almost like a more raw aspect to the mm. hockey that you're watching that makes it really really entertaining yeah the i think it's the talent disparity where it's like the top 6 can be like either a bunch of quad a players that are nearly NHLers and then the bottom half is like a bunch of kids who've never played pro hockey before or ECHLers right right so you get these situations where games are back and forth action all the time scoring chances galore it's like hard to read as or analyze as like an actual like comparable to the nhl but it's just like fun hockey so if you have kids and you watch the show bring your kids out to an ahl game yeah they're, they're fun enough even though it's like the this episode sucks. has been sponsored by the abbotsford canucks <laughs> no. yeah, not sponsored i would hey if they want to if they want to uh no, no. actually i don't know what no, the rules on that shills. would be that's right i don't know what the rules on that would be maybe you can get somebody to somebody who's like a prime sponsor of the I'll, abbotsford canucks to i'll like just talk to them when i'm at the rink and yeah. i'll be like give me money sponsor no, no get one of the players to sponsor you get it like the, the, <laughs> this, this episode is brought to you by noah Juleson. he's just a nice guy like that <laughs> speaking of noah Juleson, this is i was actually kind of mad so like Rolling all the way back initial story. Uh, Second period of the game on Saturday, Chris Faber looks at me and he's like, they're booing. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, they're booing Jim or they're booing the team off the ice. It's 4-1. And and then he he was just giving me the play-by-play on what was happening in the game. And we were having a great laugh because here we are having a gay old time watching Abbotsford Canucks lose to the worst team in the Pacific Division. So that was really funny. But the day after, Noah Juleson, local boy, scores his first goal in over three years. And I wasn't there 
to this comment scene. on it, which is so lame. That it's, that yeah, that's that was that's a bummer. Good for him though. That's good yeah. for him that he's get getting on the board there. Um, yeah, the whole the whole situation. Uh, I will say one other thing that I we have yet to touch on is the fact that look, we went eight years <laughs> with Jim Benning, with that with the, in the Jim Benning era, and this whole time we never found out what John Weisbrod did. Uh, well, didn't we? Oh, they might have touched on what he did because somebody finally actually was like, "Hey, uh, yeah, hey Jim, uh, what does he do?" <laughs> Someone made a comment like Brad Shaw or like, like maybe it was Todd Harvey or something, but they were like, "Oh, I work a lot with John, and he's kind of in control of our scouting staff or something like that, or amateur scouting departments." And it was like, after eight years, we finally it was like, yeah, it was like found it, out. It was it was the whole uh, uh, I've said it, but I think I've said it. I, I forget if you and I talked about this or if this was someone else, but I referenced um, how I met your mother. Uh, how whenever they asked uh, Neil Patrick Harris's character Barney Stinson about what he did for a living, that he'd just go, "Ha, please!" And yeah. "please" turned out to be an acronym for something uh, for yeah. some for, for for some division in his like mega bank. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. And that was yeah. all he answered for like the entire nine season run of the show until like the yeah. very end. And that kind of was what it was with with Wisebrod. Is it was like, so uh, Wisebrod, what do you do around here? <laughs> please, <laughs> I'm sure there is an acronym where please, like you could be like personal liaison. European oh. amateur scouting. Oh, you've got it. Oh, it, oh there you I, go. almost, I got most the of it. The E is the uh, um, experimentate, experiment Expert. or something. Expert. <laughs> Expert. There you go. There you go. There you go. Um, and yeah, I will say this. God, like the whole the whole thing, seeing this kindly come to an end, seeing this finally again, because this has been a case of like it, it was one of those things where it's like the way things have been going this season, you knew the writing was on the wall that it was finally going to end at some point. Mm -hmm. We just didn't know when it was a matter of when not. It was a, it was a slow peel of the band aid, right? You knew it was coming off. It just took a lot to get there. And then, and somehow the second you rip that band aid off, all of a sudden it's the cut is gone. Like in a way, like obviously there are still like, obviously the, actual on ice stuff still has a long ways to go and obviously that's not an overnight fix in of any case yeah but oh my god does it feel so much better about do i feel so much better about the canucks right now yeah. <laughs> i was like ah like i'm so much better this so, is a good day like i again i feel bad for the man jim benning eh. is and i i don't know of course we're gonna have to talk about travis green who also comes out of, as who's also a casualty out of this mm-hmm. and everything as well mm-hmm. um but oh my god today i was i was basically like i was saying to my friend yesterday that i was like today i'm either going to be really zen and really calm or i'm going to turn into just a wrestling promoter and i'm just going to show i'm just going to run up to the camera over there and be like this is it this is the time we've been waiting for are you looking at me like <laughs> that was going yeah, that was that's... that was the way this could have gone as well i i and Again, like seeing everybody, like other writers and other people, like talking about how, like how good it feels. Like I don't know if you read Stanchi's article on Canucks Army, wonderfully written. Um, and it tackles the issue from like, like the like where it really lies, right? Is that I'm, all the media guys are tired of tackling the same storyline every single game of when will a change actually happen? What is ownerships? what's the plan here to actually fixing things is there a plan is the team like completely content with their team just being complete shit like what's the deal what's the the future outlook here yeah and yeah so if you get a chance go to canucksarmy.com and check out the stanches uh 
eulogy of the Jim Benning era. Doesn't get into the nitty gritty like you know the trades he lost or like the no. the times he screwed up in press conferences. It was just like a like it a was, raw analysis of just like like the pain is kind of over a bit. Yeah, there's still pain because obviously, like you said, the on ice product. We'll find out in two hours when they take on the uh, L.A. Kings. It could Alex still Edler be garbage. And his L.A. Kings. Who Alex Edler, by the way, scored his 100th career goal since yeah. the last time we did a show. That was really cool. Good, Good for, for him. The Thank old God fella. he didn't do it against Vancouver. Um, He'll score 101, though. That'd be fine. That's fine. That's fine. It's basically it, 100. That that would be very... Uh, it would. Be, it was going to be Pete Canucks if he scored all the first 99 of Vancouver and then scored number 100 against Vancouver. Uh, so I'm glad he did it early. Uh, and against Calgary, again, like a true Canuck. Against uh, Jacob Markstrom, which in a way kind of felt like a like a shot against Vancouver, if you really think about it. Yeah, that was a... God, like, again, the, all the omens just kind of come into roost together. Like, I, yeah. I, I, there was the whole other thing about how Sidney Crosby, this is this is the biggest goal he scored since the golden goal. <laughs> yeah. The one that got, was the fourth goal in a game that got uh, Jim Benning fired. Um, and, yeah, again, I look at this team now with such a different outlook just on the fact that the GM is different that is gone yeah because again it really just felt like this was it we were gonna sit here you until and I the year, end of the year until the sun burnt out like it really <laughs> felt like it was yeah. a case of you and I would be doing this podcast life for the next 20 years and we're still in 20 years from now we'd still be talking about Okay, but if Sean Mathias Jr. turns out okay, he'll be fine. Well, we might win <laughs> oh. something. Like, uh, it really did feel like that was where this was going to end up going. Or, like, yeah, I'm I'm being obviously a little hyperbolic. Mm -hmm. But very much that case of is just this never-ending cycle of every year you think something's going to change. And then something, something some comes in the deus way. ex machina, yeah. like, saves Jim Benning's job, yeah. be it last year, be it a COVID pandemic, be yeah. it a, be it the fact a, that last year was, cap. yeah, be it like last year was so abbreviated and shortened and the taps were turned off to such a degree that ownership, ownership felt like throwing was like fine. Was a bone basically. Yeah. was fine. was basically fine. Uh, calling an entire season a wash right from day one, yeah. which, which in hindsight massively critically hurt them. Like, just a bit probably set them back like five years it and really uh, did i it, it's almost shocking like how badly that could that really went for them um yeah. uh do we want to run into i guess because we're, we're kind of done on the bending discourse why don't we get yeah, into, get into our, the good stuff. our our favorite memory of the bending regime let's go out with some happiness oh, so the favorite memory. <laughs> i i joked on twitter yesterday that my favorite was today when he got fired. <laughs> I did that love that when it was like um I, I can't remember someone tweeted out what's your favorite memory I think it was a broadcast what's your favorite memory that was the and yeah like, that was the broadcast like 60% yeah. of the responses were just today yeah exactly like, everyone tonight. was like yeah today this is the best yeah. one because he's um because he's gone um okay we'll talk about actual good things Jim Benning did for the Canucks um okay um I mean, it's hard not to look at just like the the draft picks. Obviously, like Elias Pettersson, uh, he's it, struggling now, but the fact that they got him at where they did, where they did, considering that in in hindsight, he arguably could have been the first overall pick of that draft. I mean, if they do a redraft, he's probably I, I don't know. Kale McCarr is probably going Kale to McCarr win. is very good, but. Even still, like with what Pedersen brings to the table, like I have a hard time imagining. Like, I mean, you know, obviously you're taking him over Nolan Patrick. Obviously, you're mm -hmm. going to take him over 
Who was the third pick in that draft? It wasn't Makar. It was um, uh, Heiskanen. It was Heiskanen. That's yeah. right. Heiskanen also very good. Yeah. Um, two very good defensemen. I have a hard time believing that even in that case, like anyone takes the defenseman first overall. Um, yeah. I and Nico Heischer is the one stumbling block there, and even then, I think it's pretty. pretty I think you could cut. give the. I think you can easily I, give yeah. the the nod to Petey on that front. That fact that they got him almost in a way and as a not as an unknown, but just kind of as a outside looking in kind of guy. Yeah. In hindsight, was incredible, yeah. and a lot of that's due to Judd Brackett as well, and uh, that <laughs> who, that who was immediately fired the. F- Next, two not the next years year, later, year, yeah, year way too soon year. later. Um, that one was really good, and then obviously, I mean, the Quinn Hughes one is a little different because that one was a case of where Quinn Hughes should have gone a lot earlier and didn't. Yeah, thanks a lot, John Chaka. The and future GM, two GMs who do not oh, have no. their jobs right now. Two GMs who have both been linked to the neck to the Canucks uh, let's job. Not that. Pl- let's not. Let, that let's not talk about that. But yeah. uh, let's see. And if we're if uh, if you want to go off a non-obvious one, um. I will say that I I was a um I've always been a I was always a big fan with Jim Benning in the way he handled goaltending. Like I actually think the one thing that Jim Benning was actually pretty good at and I've said many times before that I think he's actually a very decent goalie evaluator in terms of like what goalies need because and again this is going to turn into a backhanded compliment about Jim Benning but uh, the way d- things have developed uh in Utica and in Abbotsford uh Goaltending is the only thing that's ever seemed to come out of there with regularity, regularly doing at, on a good level. Yeah, and that starts with the fact that they didn't rush uh, Markstrom right to the NHL the first year. They got Ryan Miller in as the stopgap. Mm-hmm. They brought in Anders Nilsson to kind of provide a little bit of stable of stability. And even when Markstrom struggled at times. And Nilsson was looking like the better goaltender. They didn't go, all right, Nilsson's the guy now. Let's yeah, let's yeah. completely die, uh, change course here. Nope, they stayed. They stayed with him. They made the right decisions and turned him into a very great goaltender. And even after they had to make the hard decision of going to Demko, mm-hmm. that continued. Like, that yeah. was a case of— It's they, worked out so far. It's worked out so far. Like, they've done a very good—I will—again, the only thing the Canucks have really had going for them the entire time that Jim Benning has been in charge is they've act, they've had stable goaltending the entire time, which, the, in Canucks history, is hard to find. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. The, the one department that he excelled in is probably the only reason he lasted as long as he did. That's Because if, yeah. he's, if he was a bad goalie evaluator, like he would have been exposed by the defense course that he's put together over the last eight years yeah. as well. Markstrom and Demko have, stole, have stolen quite a few games for, for Jim Benning, like yeah. in the last three, yeah. four years. Thanks, like, Mike Gillis, for Jacob Markstrom. Uh, yeah, I, yeah I, I, joke, I was joking on Twitter because someone was like, this is all Gillis's fault that he got fired after eight years and the oh team sucked. God. And <laughs> I joked in return to him, like as a joke, and then I kind of thought about it. And I was like, well, actually, it's kind of true. But yeah, yeah. Gillis kind of screwed up the Canucks for the next eight years because he left Jim Benning with their captain, Bo Horvat, and Jacob Markstrom as their number one goalie for th- at least three. They yeah, left them with two, three good, to four two of really good players. Years. How dare he? <laughs> those he should two be ashamed. Players, which, you know, you joke like, also oh, left, now, now he also left cupboard. him with Hunter Shinkarik. Let's and, not. <laughs> and Ben Hutton, who turned out to be like, you know, Ben Hutton was decent, like serviceable. Four or five. Yeah. But the joke was that he left him with two pieces that were so significant to the Benning era that it probably buoyed them from being a consistent 
29th, 30th, 31st ranked team. That's very true. Like, so, like he, obviously, it's a joke blaming Gillis for bringing in such yeah, good players. Yes, but again, that's the job is to yeah. bring in good players. Yeah, but it is very funny now, in hindsight, how many people said, you know, Gillis left nothing in the cupboards. They, there's no players to work with. And he left the, two the gems. few ones that met, like were left were probably the most impactful to the Benning era. And now, like, don't get me wrong, Benning has left the next incumbent GM quite a lot to work with with the NHL roster. Like, yeah. he's got a lot of young guys that he can probably flip if he needs to 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 revamp his decor. If, yeah, if that's the or, – or she. They, or they, she. I've talked before that I would be interested in Alexander Mandrake as a, as a potential GM oh, candidate as well. I have no interest in anyone from Seattle. After yeah, that Seattle's draft. done a little bit badly. So maybe uh, my, my – her stock has dropped a little bit in my mind, but not yeah. a crazy amount. Um, But, yeah, like there – I – yeah, the one thing you can't say against Jim Benning is that, as well as that, he there's clearly there's clearly a nucleus of a team there. It's just a matter of yeah. Again, it's just the insulation has always been the yeah. problem, right? The thing that I've never understood about how we as hockey followers and as well as like media people and even like organizations themselves look mm -hmm. at general managers is they always seem to look at them as. Oh, this one person is the only person that can make this happen, kind of thing. If you know what, if you catch my drift, yeah. Like it was one of those things where I, there were often times where I was questioning in regards to Jim Benning, like why, why is it, why would it be such a bad thing if we looked at Jim Benning and said, well, he's he can he can set the kind of the he can set the table for you, but someone else is going to come out to serve the final dish, kind of thing. Yeah, like maybe maybe you're not the person that finishes cooking the meal, but you prepped it, kind of thing. Yeah. And I always kind of thought that was really weird that Jim Benning that it was it would be such a um, a a, bl a black spot on Jim Benning's career if we looked earlier on and went. Okay, he he's not great at team construction, but mm -hmm. he can actually find the decent like prospects and younger guys to put it together. Yeah. So let's give him a year to get an, another group together, and then we bring in somebody new to kind of finish it all yeah. off. And especially because I think that's kind of what happened with the last Canucks team that had success, where it was kind of a case of Dave Notice had like some good left. He had some the building good, blocks. He had some. He couldn't finish it, but yeah. he set some great building blocks, particularly in uh, obviously. Staying, staying with the Sedins, sticking mm -hmm. with the Sedins, the Luongo trade, which literally, you know, yeah. changed the franchise forever. Um, the yeah, like and the some he left, the he too. left great, yeah, he left some good stuff there for Mike Gillis to then take and be like, to okay, make, I can build yeah. the final, the yeah. final. Pieces I can make around hay out this. of this. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of the thing that I never understood with with this kind of with this regime and why people looked at it the way they did. And so it's good that we're finally getting to that point because it is there. It is yeah. there. It's a little bit tougher now because they've kind of – the window isn't past them. It's just a little bit shorter. This uh, was the window. That's the problem. That's this the problem. They the looked problem. at it like it was the window. This was the all-in year where it all has to go right for any of the decisions to have made sense. And the on-ice results have they said, made it so that those decisions don't make any sense. Yeah. They said this is the window as it's literally shutting on their fingers. Like, that's what <laughs> yeah. it was. Um, yeah. what, okay. What, how about for you? What was your favorite memory? What, what What's what's your favorite, like, good memory from the Benning era? I'll choose a different one than the oh. one I chose for Roxy Fever because we also okay. went through this exercise with them as well. Um, I think for me, 
one of my favorite things, kind of like just like the early indicator, was when it was right after Eric Goodbranson had finished out his prove it contract with the team. And I remember Jim Benning had said, Eric Goodbranson is on a show me deal and we're going to decide what we do with him after. And like not even, you know, before the deals expired, he extended him to that four by $4 million contract or whatever it was after having like one of the like historically worst performances by an NHL defender for the Vancouver Canucks. Injury luck definitely hurt. Like definitely wasn't on his side at that point, but yeah, it was was like not enough to warrant the the second contract. It was a canary in the coal mine where it just kind of showed how poor the player evaluation was. And I think that also fell after the Spiza and Dorset extensions in 20 That was 2014 like 2014, literally before their playoff run literally before their one their their first of the two playoffs Yeah runs. and so it's like Two and eight. Two and God. eight. Again I I put the gra- I put the uh the the thing up there that in the first uh, in the first not in the first 9 years of Francesco Aquilini's ownership they made the playoffs 6 out of 9 times in the second in the se- or sorry first of 8 they made 6 of 8 they won two presidents trophies. They won. They went to a cup final. They did really well. They won. I think every year they made the playoffs. They won the division as well. And then, and then in the next eight, all were Jim Benning. So not even not including the Tortorelli year. I'm not including the Tortorelli year in that mm-hmm. at all. That is when they start to crumble and they miss the playoffs to to yeah twi- only twice in eight years and that lasted long enough. But yeah, and it coincides with like a very clear and blatantly obvious. Um, proliferation of like members of management like you saw Lawrence Gilman go you saw Lauren Henning go you saw like a ton of bodies in the management staff just like disappear while Benning brought in Wisebrod and but like no one else replaced these people and it was like like Linden like obviously was the guy that hired him he was gone eventually and then the COVID pandemic hit and suddenly like the only people on staff were like Benning Wisebrod and then amateur and pro scouts and like that was it yeah and so it's no surprise like, i wonder if francesco aquilini's takeaways from this eight-year period is i can't be reducing the number of people in my management staff like i hope he i hope he does a personal internal audit and realizes this job as mark bergevin or uh, jeff molson said this job can't be run by one person anymore you need as many hands on deck as possible to, you know, compete in the NHL. I hope that was his takeaway too. Yeah. That's actually a really good question. Do you think the Jeff Molson uh, decision to fire Bergevin and to move on and like the press conference after and that everything and that whole situation, do you think that spurred Francesco along? Cause we're going to get into that as well in a second it, here about his, like inter- his interview and the fact that they hired a new coach. It could have, it might have played a little bit into it, but obviously, like the the decisions to maybe move on from Benning were happening like weeks ago, like before Bergevin was, you know, yeah, canned with everyone else. So I'm, I have a feeling it was just kind of like the jersey got thrown. One of the key executives that Aquilini clearly respects enough to have employed him for this long said, "We need a change. Like this is not good enough. That the boys are playing like shit." and the plan for this year isn't working. So maybe it did. I don't know. Yeah. But. I think it might have 
I think it's one of those things where it was like there, like like you said, they were already planning to move along with this. Yeah. But it was a case of, I think they, I think in particular, I wouldn't be surprised if Aquilini saw how well it kind of went for the Canadians that they made the call to to move on when they <laughs> like did. How well received the Jeff Molson? We need to overhaul our management, get more AGMs. Yeah. Uh, we need to rebuild and see what we can sell off. Yeah. And because yeah, Canadians fans were like, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah, yeah. They that I think that ha- I think that helped. I I would imagine that helped move things along because I li- I and I t- I wrote about it how I really hope that they took that. Francesco considering he was in he was in Montreal that day he was yeah, there when was that there. when that interview happened and everything I was really hoping that he came he came out of it looking at it and went okay this can work you can wait you can make a change midseason and not have to worry that oh it's going to cause a massive power vacuum yeah. you don't have to worry about um necessarily what's going on on the ice that that's going to be set in stone no matter what unless you get a new GM in right away that's going to be set in stone. And even then, and even then it's happen. a case of you're still going to be how good you are for the rest of the season. There's nothing you can do to make, to, yeah. to overhaul the t- the roster to be a playoff team in yeah. the time allotted this year. And I really was just hoping that he took out of it. Like, look, they're you're the, the guys who you're planning on firing clearly are already kind of dead men walking here. Yeah. Don't delay it. If you care about them at least like, and their, and their, um, yeah. and their, and their own egos and everything, at yeah. least like, Give them the dignity of being able to move on now it, rather than later and having to this drag out weeks on end, you know? Realistically, if someone had thrown a jersey at the end of that uh, homestand where they went two and seven, maybe Travis Green doesn't spend the net like the following three weeks, like just on the like road, yeah. one foot out the door waiting to be fired. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a good segue into the, the, the Travis Green part of all this because we haven't yeah. actually really touched on that is. Travis Green. I feel like here's the thing. Again, we've we've said this so many times before on this show that for what it's for what Travis Green is as a coach, we're not sitting here thinking, oh, he's the best coach in the world. He's the only man that could get anything out of this roster. Like, <laughs> I don't think any of us are under that impression. But it did feel like to me that it it felt unfair to me that he kind of got lumped in here too in the sense of like there was nothing he could really do there was nothing he could have done really to make this roster that much better in the same way that in a way i don't think this is going to be much for bruce boudreau either um because this this team is what it is and he was dealt a crappy hand and i i felt bad on that front like again i think very it would have been if i think there was no there would have been no problem with anybody Mm -hmm. uh, if the Canucks had say fired only Jim Benning and John Weisbrod. And let's say even they don't, they don't move on from Nolan Baumgartner who I could, <laughs> I think we could like as much as Nolan Baumgartner is a well-known Canuck and a nice and a, and a nice guy, uh, considering he was working the PK, which was notoriously historically, awful, historically awful. Yeah. I could see why that firing needs to happen. But for Travis green, it was one of those things where it was like, I would have, I would have liked to have seen, what he could do with a different GM. Like I would have liked least to at least seen him get the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, the proof of concept was there that he can get a lot out of pretty bad rosters. Like the bubble roster shouldn't have gone as far as it did. Jake Vertanen should have never been a near 20 goal scorer. A, 
you can make a case for a lot of players that they had career years under Jim or under Jim under Travis Green. Like Adam Gaudet was a near, a near forty point player in his you know second real NHL year, and just a few years later he's like struggling to stick in Ottawa's lineup. Like mm. Travis Green does find a way to get a lot out of his young players, but I think the the insulating pieces that he's been given on a year over year basis just have never been good enough. Yeah. Like and never. And again, we're not saying he's the best coach in the world. Like there are definitely no. times like in this season where I'm watching some of the choices he's making, particularly in the way he's handling Patterson through his slump, particularly through um, the way that Vasily put It became a running joke that Vasily put could score a goal and then get immediately benched for the rest yeah. of the game. Leaning, uh, leaning so heavily on Alex Chiesa on who's, like nothing at five v five, but who's literally un unusable at anything other than power play time. Yeah, and and it looks like he's going to be in the lineup tonight for Bruce Boudreau as well. Um, it's yeah, there were like there were definitely times where he was sticking to his guns on things that were I would like looking at like this isn't working. I don't know why you keep going to this, yeah. but I still would have I I and again, it's not a case of where I'm like, oh, he's the only again. It's not a case of he's the only guy who could coach the roster. I'm again looking at what Bruce Boudreau can probably bring. We're going to talk about him in a second. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do, but I would have, for Travis Green's sake, mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen what could happen if, say, like I don't know, we'll throw. Let's say uh, it's Travis Green under GM Roberto Luongo. Let's just let's just put that. Let's just say that for example. I would have liked to have seen what he could have done with, say, a roster that Luongo puts together rather than that and and at least getting gotten uh, maybe not even like next season, just like the rest of this year to kind of figure things out, because you can always reevaluate the coach at the end of the year. Yeah. Um. Or and I guess we can say even like Stan Smeal's interim GM, if he's actually get getting the opportunity to make trades and deals, what can he do under a team that Stan Smeal preps for a trade deadline or and what yeah, have what- you? Just what can he do in general when not presented with a decor, like I said earlier, joking in the intro, a decor that only has two left shot defensemen on it. Right. Like And again, I think with Bruce Boudreau, I'm gonna I'd be surprised if he gets much more out of that group. Like he yeah. could like they, they the might of, score more. Yeah. But like, well, do you want to just get into Bruce Boudreau now? Like, is this the yeah, good time to get that. into it? Okay. R.I.P. Travis Green. R.I.P. Travis Green. Honestly, like, he Some will get a memes. good... He will get a good... He, oh, good, good. He, good meme content, and he will get a new job very soon. Like, I would be... I'd, I would be... He, maybe not necessarily, like, a new NHL head coach job right away, yeah. but at least on someone's, like, the assistant on someone else's bench. For sure, someone's picking him up, right? Yeah, I could see him, you know... If any team has watched Seattle. how he's developed, like, young forwards... Like if yeah. I'm like the GM and my I've got a young core coming up, I would want him as my guy personally yeah. because I thought I think he does do good work when he has young player, young skilled players to work with, but he really needs a supporting cast that he doesn't lean on so much that those young stars, you know, get their time on ice sidelined for it. Yeah, like he's a very like. Like we always talk about prescribed minutes for skaters and defensemen. This is a bit same thing. Travis Green needs a very prescribed roster in front of him so that he can do what he does best without getting caught up doing what he's actually not very good at. Right. So anyways. Anyways. R.I.P. dude. Now with Bruce Boudreaux, 
the one thing, so we, you and you were here, you and I, I you and I have been here for all of uh, the uh, press conferences today, um, or at least, yeah. And um, with Boudreaux, the thing that we were seeing right out of the gate is kind of like the personality with him. So, and he he hasn't coached in the NHL in a while. Like I, I honestly. It's, it, it felt like he was been he'd been a coach like up until last year, but he's oh, been off since like uh, since the bubble year because yeah. Dean Evason took over from Mid, them. Right? Yeah, mid season him mid season and then won that job permanently. A lot of actually a lot of coaches did because Rick Bonus obviously yeah. same same deal. Um, Talk it too wasn't he? Uh, no, Talk it had been there for a while. Um, oh. Fla- the Flames coach Jeff Ward uh, mm-hmm. now who is now who got fired ended up getting fired the next year um, for Daryl Sutter. Um, but yeah, but yeah, a lot of coaches went in kind of that direction. Um, but yeah, Boudreaux, it feels like he's been a coach for as long as I can remember. Like, I mean, obviously he was a big part of the Capitals for when they really started getting good. I believe they were the, he was there, he was coaching them to the president's trophy, uh, prior to winning, like he had won the, uh, the Calder cup with the Hershey bears before that. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a coach that from immediate uh, knowledge of him or like from my my first look at him essentially in a Canucks uniform is clearly there's a personality to him like we've talked about you know there's the there's the HBO 24 7 documentary yeah that followed the Penguins and the Capitals in 2011 um and one and Boudreaux was one of the people that came out of that looking really good because of people really liked how personal he was he was very authentic and uh Justin Morissette friend of friend of the show talked about that today and how the Canucks are a team that for what for what they've been going through, part of the prescription here might just be enjoying yourself at, at the rink again, which is something that has not been there this no. year. And we've talked about it on the show before that uh fun can get you a very far can get you pretty good distances in like in in hockey. Like the obviously skill matters more, but playing you can you can do a lot more with a lot less just on the fact that you're enjoying yourself and you're playing with that mentality of we're we're gonna have a good we're gonna enjoy ourselves playing the sport that we love kind of thing right yeah. and where the Canucks are at right now and where their their attitude has been at lately that might just be what they need right now like as somebody who's gonna come in and make things fun for them a little bit again and yeah. have a good time with them S- yeah because obviously any player is going to recognize when their head coach is under operating under like significant pressure to perform and succeed. It's obviously brand new contract for for Travis. Like it's, it's it's stressful for all of them because they know they need to perform for a coach who's under the gun to make playoffs. They're under the gun to make playoffs. So with a new coach, who's got like a pretty low key chill attitude about him and is going to take it. I mean, we made fun of this so much last year. Uh, the Canucks' decision to say they take things day to day. I did God, like the wow. quote, but looks good on was... a throw pillow. <laughs> yeah, we got that. Yeah, but I did laugh when Boudreaux was like, "You know, we're not going to set long term goals here. We're gonna we're gonna take it week to week. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna look for the end of the week. And if we're tired, tired day by day, wired week to week. Oh, I mean." Yes. Here's the thing in his in his job role. That's correct. That's yeah, actually that's okay. Fine. That's yeah. fine. As the coach, it's not your job really to be thinking about 
the long-term picture. Yeah. That's your, you're about winning games now, <laughs> but yeah, that is <laughs> really very, funny. Very funny. Oh, uh, it'd be, it would be really funny as if he knew that was a thing here and had done that. <laughs> he purposely. was memeing. He was just memeing. Well, he did drop the first F bomb of his, in his press conference as they were closing. Oh, did he? Did he? I, yeah. I he's that. like, he's like trying to get out of his chair and he's just like, Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, uh, yeah great. again, and as people have been memeing to death, the fact is that he and JT Miller are going to get along very well in that in that regard. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Who do you who do you think benefits most here from Boudreaux coming in? Like, is there one player that that you look at that could really get a a, a big jolt out of having him on the on the bench now? I I would have to hope it'd be Pedersen or Besser, right? Right? Yeah, like, like two very offensively oriented players who've struggled to produce this season. It would make sense that Bruce Boudreaux, who's a very run and gun kind of offensive first coach, it would make sense that they see the biggest steps up in their games. Like they feel more comfortable taking the risk, doing the bank pass off the end boards type shit that they were doing two years ago. Maybe, maybe that's just what they need is a coach who's like willing to be like, hey, I'm under no obligation to come back next year. So let's just have some fun, try and win some hockey games and uh, get you guys back on track. And then we'll go from there. Yeah. I, that, yeah, I think you're right on the money there. I think it's, I think it is the fact that there might be, I think the, like the connection between Boudreaux and Pedersen could be great. Like if it works out, like it honestly could be a really good match there. Yeah. Um, With Besser, I think it's a little different just because, uh, not that Besser's like Besser's a quieter guy. He's not really like the the out I the out loud there type player by any stretch. I think he's uh-huh. a little bit more of the he's the gentler in, touch it's kind a bit of guy. Quiet and reserved. Yeah, he's a quiet mean. reserved guy. Patterson is like with the media, he's quiet. But yeah. as far as like personality wise, he's got a very he's very much got his his style right. Yeah, I could see a situation where that really works with Boudreaux and that really ha- and there's a good fit there. Um. And in terms of just getting him back onto, don't worry so much about you know the rest of the year. Don't worry so much about the the standings or the points. Worry about you and just playing your best kind of game. I could see that being a good fit there, and with and with Besser too, for that matter. I could see that being a really good fit. I think yeah. I again, it's a case of I don't know if he's if Boudreaux is going to be able to come in and fix things like say the penalty kill. Although we do have a new PK coach in Scott Walker, which again. <laughs> Good how luck. much worse could he do? Like, yeah, like it's really a case that, of how much worse could he possibly do? That does suck for Scott Walker too, where it's like you're not coming in to like a new team and taking over like a sixty percent pet PK. Like an okay like an okay group. Or sorry, a seventy percent or eighty percent. You're coming in and taking on the worst. The worst historically PK in the NHL worst in the last history. 20, or like, but at the same time, there's no pressure on him to do much true, better. Because there's no way he could make it any worse. They're already <laughs> terrible. They're already historically but, terrible. How bad could you do? What if tonight against LA, like they get four power plays and they score on all four? Oh my like Scott oh. Walker's just like, oh, I can't do anything. He's just looking at it. He's just looking at it like, oh, this is really oh, you guys are really bad. Like you're wow. just looking at him like on the mouth like like mouthing to the bench, like, wow, you guys suck. Like, oh wow. Maybe we so we will start seeing like Quinn Hughes on the PK just because they need the, the left shot defenseman out there. Like, Again, why haven't they done that already? Like I don't understand the Why the, isn't Pedersen on the PK if why, to get him yeah, going? Why isn't P, why isn't Pedersen out there? Uh why isn't why isn't Nils Hoaglander playing PK minutes. Why isn't Vasily Pudkalzin playing PK minutes? Both of those guys in particular, their skill set lends very well to the PK, and I'm surprised they haven't got that opportunity. I would love to see them get that here. Um, 
I do think that there are cases like that. That is a thing where it is clearly fixable. Like any sort of like historical, like when you're historically bad, it's a mixture of being bad, but it's also bad, like the worst luck in the world. Like no one is really historically bad without either it being on purpose or just a complete fluky accident. Well, three of those goals against Pittsburgh on the power play were, were deflections off of defense in the crease, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, the PK sucks, but sometimes that yeah. confluence of like just awful puck bounces too is just n- was not in their favor at all throughout the first 25 games of the year. Yeah. It's one thing to be middling like middle of the road in terms of the league on that PK or like your power play, because that is kind of a case of where you look at it. You're like, well, this is probably what we are. Like yeah. this is very clearly what we are. Maybe we'll get lucky and move up to like 10th. Maybe <laughs> we'll get, we'll have some tough luck and we'll move down to like 20. Yeah. But if you're in that 15, 16 mark, you kind of know where you are. When you're 32nd and also the worst since 1979 uh, in National Hockey League history, again, including 80s teams that were no good at defense, that didn't, that actually, like, you ask them what defense was, they go, huh? Huh? Like, they just would look at you like, what is defense? Uh, What is, what is goaltending that isn't stand-up goaltending? Uh, what is what is not what is a what is a goaltender that has a su- uh, an above eight fifty <laughs> yeah, percentage? Yeah. Uh, yeah, with this team, it's more of a case of you can make fixes so that it's not maybe you're not gonna again become the best penalty kill in the world by any stretch, yeah. but you can at least work your way up into say that twenty five that twenty range, and that's a suddenly that looks way better <laughs> yeah. just in terms of like the little the little changes you can make. Yeah. Compared to the worst, yeah. uh, worst in the league in history. Like, yeah. <laughs> anything is possible. Everything is up and up from there. Yeah. Really. It's again, this is again today. You know, again, today is great because it's the, we bought, they officially have bottomed out in terms of like fan interest in <laughs> terms of expectations. Now you can start Joy. to build it back up again. And that's great. Like, even if they get worse from here, like in terms of, let's say like, again, it's, it's going to be very hard to do that. But let like even if they if they finish dead last in the NHL right like at the end of this season like it's yeah. hard to look at it and be like oh this is like how uh, how, could Bruce, how could Bruce Boudreaux how, do this how could Bruce Boudreaux and Stan Smeal and uh, Scott Walker do this no like this is the start of the next step and the next yeah. step especially considering you go into the trade deadline later with the idea of like okay the team's not gonna make the playoffs this year so what can we move to kind of make it so that we can make it next year because that's where they should be kind of looking at it in a sense. Um, which I guess kind of brings us into talking about like the uh, press conferences today and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, obviously we heard from Francesco Aquilini for the first time since uh, hiring Linden, hiring Linden in 2014. Jesus. Where were, yeah. where were you in 2014? Where were you in the, <laughs> I was probably a Nashville predators fan at that time. Oh my God! Oh man, that yeah. The, let's see. They would have had Pecorine. They had. I think they still had Web. For, they still had Weber. Forsberg was in the second year of his deal and was playing out of his mind. That they. Speaking of uh, Martin Erat for uh, for Philip Forsberg, uh, George McPhee has been mentioned as a, as a candidate for the GM position as well. That uh, that doesn't make any sense to me, but it's what it's one of the things I'd be most interested in, because that man has a vision for the Vegas Golden Knights, and he's followed through with it every single year. He he has the vision that the uh that the Aquilinis would like in terms yeah, of going absolutely. all in every single year but actually like but, but only he's pulling it off instead of instead of 
instead of his answer being Tucker Pullman, it's Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, <laughs> like it, a big difference. Yeah, it's a it's a bit better on the player identification identification front. Uh, so that helps George McPhee's case. I'd be curious what he would do, but also I'd be terrified that he'd be like, Hoglander's out, and I brought in Dougie Hamilton. You I mean, I mean, like Dougie Hamilton, but yeah, I, I like Nils Hoekman. I like, yeah, like that's the problem. It's like I like the young. The, I love the promise of a Hoglander, of a Pod Colson, of a Rathbone. You know, like these guys that could be really something if like put in the right situations. You don't want it to become a, a like a Max Pacioretty for Nick Suzuki situation, where exactly. again, Pacioretty's been great for Vegas, but man, would but you not just, love to have Nick Suzuki? Yeah, like they just obviously didn't get it done with Pacioretty. Well, I mean, they still could. They still could. They still have time. Jack Eichel's still supposed to come back. God, uh, I forgot about that. Our uh, weekly Jack Eichel update, he was apparently skating after his surgery. Did you see, okay, another side note. Did you see, um, I don't remember what player it was, but someone got the exact same surgery as Jack Eichel. That's a a Blackhawks player. Yeah, yeah, a Blackhawks player got yeah. it done. Like it's it, funny how that works. It's interesting how one player sets the precedent, and suddenly, oh, it's totally fine. The other teams realize, oh, Buffalo. hey, this might make us look really bad if we decline his rights, his medical rights to do whatever. Yeah, surgery and we're he the wants. Chicago Blackhawks. We got enough crap. We, we're <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. doing. We've done enough damage this year. Yeah, we've we've uh, just shit all of our. We've done enough long term damage on people. Um, yeah. yeah, but anyways, these press conferences. Kind of got a little bit out of it. We got some funny quotes from Aquilini where he, um, he, they were they were asking him, of course, like you know, what's the plan in the immediate future, the long term? Like, are you trying to get a GM in as soon as possible? Does Stance Meal have the authority to make moves? And the big takeaways were that Stance Meal is granted the authority to present situations, trades, whatever, what have you, to Aquilini for final approval. So it's kind of like. He has the authority as a GM, but it's kind of with an asterisk, like you still need to run it by the big boss man. Well, before. I mean, but that's 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 in line that, with that every tracks, other team. But to a, to it was kind extent. of phrased in a way like it wasn't immediately like it wasn't immediate. Nope, this is the GM. Yeah, Aquilini didn't right. come out immediately say like, oh no, he's got authority. I don't give a shit what he does. Yeah, it was it was, it more was like, the dance around the question rather yeah, than just answering it straight through. Yeah. Right, I get what you're saying. But on top of that, they. He cited, Aquilini that is, cited a need for a president of hockey operations and a GM, maybe a confluence of both, depending on the person, if they are capable of handling both roles. Uh, he did have a funny quote where he said if he did have a president, he wouldn't have to do these media availabilities, which is kind of funny. Which is funny on many reasons, one being the fact of, but you haven't done any for yeah, the yeah. last eight years. Yeah, you literally... You I, had you were presented the now, choice of replacing the president when you, you fired had, Lyndon, and you just like were like, "Nah, I'm good." You had four years to to to, to do that, and even the, and I get what he's saying because he's clearly lumping in like the 650 interviews into that because that's the one media availability he has actually done over the yeah. last however many years is that idea of oh we're going to yeah I'm going to uh, um, go on the radio and talk to these to the rights holder about questions and that that counts kind of thing yeah. but it but it doesn't like if you're not into if you're not in media like just like just so to understand it like as best i can put it as best i can when you're doing it with the media rights holder people like they clearly like they're not told what to say or anything by any stretch but there's obviously always going to be this idea of like oh my god this yeah. guy more or less pays my bill pays my 
paycheck because we're we're rent we're his uh we have the rights to the team and he could take it somewhere else if he doesn't like what we're saying so i have to be a little careful when i uh, what i ask kind of thing right yeah it's that idea of it they do have autonomy on what they ask but there's always that little voice in the back of their head of i have to still be careful kind of thing i don't want my uh press passes revoked because i phrase my question i don't want that would be asked anywhere else in the market I don't want that to be coming off the wrong way. I don't want to be the reason that they take the radio rights to chorus next year yeah. rather than Rogers kind of thing, right? I, like, yeah. and that's I don't want yeah. to be my own reason for why I can't get access to Abbotsford Canucks games. Bingo, exactly. Which like, I occasionally think about before I press tweets, like my Bruce Brugeois <laughs> photos. Oh dear God, I'm scared. <laughs> I haven't seen those yet. I'm scared. Oh, um, very erotic. In um, but yeah, so. In his case, but it is, yeah, it is a case of like, the, yeah, they've needed a president of hockey ops for a very long time. People were uh, asking very pointed questions about, or sp- they're looking clearly for specifics on certain people. Yes. Uh, one of them being Mike Gillis. Mike Gillis was definitely. I, I love the phrasing of that question where it was like, so I'm anybody not... from your past <laughs> that. To, the, to you... all the GMs I've loved before. Yeah. Anyone from your past in the executive position that you might consider bringing back to a, be your president of hockey operations or the GM role. And, and to be f- and to his credit, he was actually like kind of making, he was, he was playing along. Like, he was yeah, playing he, along. He I'll totally knew there. exactly what they were asking. Yeah. He's like, is Mike Gillis on your uh, radar? Like, and he said, know, and he was like, ha ha, uh, anything is on the table. Which, <laughs> I, I, fair. I'll give him like, a point. Fair, like, yeah, that's the smart, that's that a smart one. answer. Okay. Cause well, if he did say like, yeah, I've been talking to Mike a lot lately. This market would freak the fuck out. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. It, he's yeah. Frankie's just lucky that I wasn't there because I literally would have just been like, I don't know. Are you looking at any uh, say? I don't know a, a, a former goaltender in Florida right <laughs> yeah, now yeah. who might be a uh, who would be very good at the job. Like, yeah. Hey, Francesco. Uh, what's the time difference? Fellow of phone Italian. Calls to Florida? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, yeah. Well, it's three hours. I mean. Um, yeah. I don't exa- know what you're talking about. Exactly. Frankie. So, uh, how? How is sunrise these days? Oh, it's very nice. Oh wait, I didn't. I didn't um, say that. No. I meant the. I meant. Um, I meant nice. uh, Disney World. I went to Disney World uh, for a business meet. I mean, personal I was, trip. I uh, was at the pornography store. Yeah, the, I was the buying Homer. pornography. The Homer. Oh my god, <laughs> this Moe's. It's a bar of some kind. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. Uh, if there is, like, I am. You know, I'm I'm obviously still going to be skeptical about where that le- ends up because of the fact of yeah, like he's had four years to replace the G- the president of hockey ops and hasn't. <laughs> yeah. So I am still very like hesitant to be like, oh, he's clearly going to fix it in that front. Like you know, he's going to hire a new GM, but that GM might be another kind of Jim Benning in the sense of. He's not a great with pub with the public communication side of things. They yeah. mentioned that, which is great. Yeah, they did acknowledge that the communication really obviously was wasn't an issue. And then, but very, again, very they, humorously, like ten minutes later, <laughs> we're like, question, I don't remember. Saying we're questioning about communications. They're like, oh, I don't remember talking about communications. And, and, and again, like, I can literally pull up the quote where they said communication it's, right here. It's pure comedy. Like I actually thought he was joking. Like he was doing like a Monty Python bit. He was doing the yeah he, yeah he was doing a whole like I don't he was he was gaslighting them like I don't know yeah, I don't yeah. I don't remember saying anything yeah, I, about. I certainly didn't talk about uh, the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, <laughs> I have I, Vancouver Canucks. Never heard of her. Like, <laughs> like they just do a whole bit. Like yeah, they're it was. 
but yeah, like it's totally true in the sense of that the communication was a major issue, mm-hmm. especially when Lyndon left and Jim Benning was left to his own devices because we didn't to, get anything for years. We didn't right? get anything for years, and to be fair to Jim Benning, he wasn't. He didn't come into the job thinking that was going to be part of his his yeah. his thing. Was he was going to have to do all that and. He kind of tried to operate his the GM position in that same the same way he had before, and yeah. then began then, to realize, oh, by the way, oh this doesn't work that yeah, way. Anymore. By the way, here's you also have to be a public speaker, and he was like, oh, I'm I'm not good at that at all. Yeah, and again, that wasn't necessarily, and that wasn't really fair to to Jim Benning because again, yeah. it's not what he's good at, yeah. or you know, and it's also like a it's a it's like a creation of like Benning's own doing. By getting rid of Lyndon, by getting rid of Bracket, by rid- get, getting rid of like h- tons of people in the head office, like tons and of scouts leaving, like that didn't leave not, a lot of people available to do media and, for the team, and not really letting the people who were still there do a lot of media. Like yeah, we, Chris Gear, like didn't do any. Like great example is on Saturday, um, uh, Chris. Chris Faber and quads and quads had uh, Ryan Beach on who we yeah, haven't yeah. heard on on a podcast or a radio show. Mm-hmm. I think the whole time that he's been working for the Canucks like yeah. I like you and I have both talked to him because we uh, when we did our project. Yeah. Project or whatever, yeah, yeah, we both got to talk to him. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it was great. to It was great to hear from him and uh, and uh, see him. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, from a public standpoint. We hadn't heard much from him in a long time, and that was a guy that Jim Benning often, very, very often mentioned in his like yes, con- in his it, press it was, conferences. Uh, as- Ryan Beach was like his his star pupil, where yeah. he was like, "Kudos, kudos to Ryan, the work that Ryan Beach was doing within the video analysis and stats department." And to and like like if Jim Benning, if there was one thing Jim Benning was good with that what that Jim Benning did do well PR wise. It was the fact that he knew that, Oh, Ryan beach is very well liked in this market. And if I mention him, that's a good thing. People will, will like that a lot. It's like, um, it's like that bit in family guy or whatever. When, Oh Oh, no, I think lower, like he's like lower taxes. Yeah. Or whatever. Oh, the taxes. The finger thing means yeah. the taxes. Oh, yeah. The finger thing means the taxes. Yeah. And, and that's what I reminded of is like all you have to do if you're like a Vancouver executive doing radio, you just have to bring up like guys people remember. Yeah. Like that's it's like that remember. tweet where it's like dudes will just sit around listing off old hockey players <laughs> and me. have the best time. <laughs> that's and so that's me. That's all you have to do as an exec. You just remember have to, Trent Clatt, Cody? Yeah, like you just have to be Jim and you'd be like, oh, you know, we like the direction of our team. I've reached out to Victor Oreskovich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, get ready for Jeff Tambellini. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you just got to rattle off these guys' names and people don't really give a shit what you're talking about yeah, because so- it just like shows that y- you know them. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, ex- yeah exactly. Like, like Bruce Boudreaux's um, press conference, like, He's a very affable guy, and but he doesn't really add much. He's like he says like the most obvious thing, like "Oh, we need to play better, and our offense is what we're yeah." Gonna you're not gonna. In. He's you're not gonna. gonna, gonna he's not gonna give you any bombshells. He's just gonna say things in a bit more of like a uh, a carefree tone. He's gonna be yeah. a little bit more laid back about the answers he's given, rather than being really like, "Oh, I gotta be so tight lipped about what's going on here," yeah. like you know, kind of thing, right? Yeah, he hasn't had the the market or not the marketing the PR department 
drill it into him that he can't give this market anything yet. Mm. That's like, that's the that actually is an interesting thing. Like in terms of like somebody pointed out today, this might be a coincidence, but somebody pointed out today that prior that like recently a lot of the videos on the Canucks social media feeds uh that they've been posting were had no audio. Like you could only see them like only see the video. They're always yelling at each other. See them. But today that Today, when Boudreaux stepped out for the, and they posted the video of that, that one had audio. And it was one of those things where it was like, again, mm. I could be totally wrong here, but you wonder about, like, is that even just, like, part of how the culture changes around here is the thing of people. People, like, like, like are, being more are, open are, with the, yeah, the information or the, the audio that does they Does the PR staff get the go-ahead to kind of be a little bit more... Uh, be more creative be more like open open with open, with open with the media because i remember like it's been talked about before that in the gillis era of things and that's just because of this is when the, that's not necessarily due to him per se just mm-hmm. in the sense of this was when like hockey blogging had really started to take off and become like a mainstay of the of sports coverage yeah um the um and that sort of thing but like a lot of Canucks Army people started getting uh, access to games, and uh, yeah. not just them. Like uh, obviously, Legion of Blog, which was Stanchi and Jay Bowman for when they were doing that. Oh, they had the provinces backing, but still, sure. that was a bit of a different. It that's was still a, basically like a, bo- a blog built into. It was a blog built into a web, to a to a news an existing news site. Like they, it was one of those things where it was like they could they could very easily have said no in those cases, <laughs> and you see it in a lot of other markets where they've been very open to letting like other like not more non traditional. Uh, media people come in and uh, and do the media stuff, mm-hmm. and you know the Botcher Project is one thing which is great and fantastic, but like uh, you you've definitely noticed there's been a they've kind of scaled back like how many of like the non traditional people can get in like I, a little bit, and I, you wonder if maybe that changes now with uh, a bit of a different a different setup in in mind nowadays. I can confirm uh, a listener in our uh, live chat uh, floor its. I believe that I'm pronouncing that right. Trent Clatt was awesome. Was my neighbor. No way. Get out. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> that rocks. That rocks super hard. Uh, That's awesome. Remember? Ah, uh, yeah. Remember Trent Clatt? Were you? You? You might be. Uh, you might be too new to remember. Yeah, Trent Clatt. I couldn't tell you. Ah, uh, Trent Clatt. He scored the. Uh, he scored the overtime winner in Game One of the O3 playoffs against Minnesota, the second round. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a beautiful shot that just kind of deflected under Manny Fernandez's pad. It was a very nice goal, uh, and it looked like the Canucks were well on their way to uh, to winning the Stanley Cup until they weren't. And then what happened? And then and then Todd Bertuzzi uh, said something about uh, Wild fans not buying ticket that Wild fans shouldn't buy tickets for Game Six, and uh, it all snowballed from there. I was at Game Five of that series. Oops. Uh-oh. I was at Game Five. I remember being told we had d- being told by the family that I was there, my family that I was there with. Uh, okay, time to go. Like during the <laughs> midway through the third period when it was like six to two, and I was like, I want to stay. Like yeah. even though they were losing, I was like, I want to watch the end of the game. Like nope, we got to beat traffic. It's not true. You don't beat traffic any. You no one beats no. traffic. It's not a. It's not a thing. You know what's weird is that leaving the Abbotsford Canucks games, I have never once hit traffic. Interesting, because that would actually, I would, I would, I would be, I would have, I would, I would imagine that it's harder to get out of there yeah. with traffic because there's no SkyTrain right next door. There's no, and there's like, only like are... two exits, like mm. for driving, and there's like a bunch of surrounding parking lots or whatever. And it's not like they're necessarily hurting for like, for for ticket buyers. Yeah, like they're doing, like, like they're they're selling it's still like well. Like four thousand people leaving all at the same time. Yeah, they're you'd selling. think it'd be backed up, but it, yeah, leaving like twenty minutes later after doing the post game interviews and. 
Yeah. Empty. That is one of the nice things about being media is that you get to stay for as long as you want. So a lot of the time, if you're not leaving right out, out of the way, everyone's already left kind of I, thing. I always feel bad about like that because Chris Faber dips really like early. Oh, and really? So Interesting. I'm the, usually the only guy in the media lounge I, after the post-game interviews. And it's me and like seven of the upper level suite like bartender girls like basically counting up like their their tips, their tips the and whatever yeah. for the night and you that's always feel it like i feel like, like you feel like I'm you're holding somebody up yeah because like there's meat there's p- papers all over the media tables and there's like cans of stuff from all the people that are left behind i'm like i'm just in yeah. everyone's way yeah and that's and then you go and then there was yeah because that, that was me for when i was doing the barracuda games because obviously most nights i was the only media person there and i like or like outside of like the play-by-play guy yeah. who's also the the PR, the media guy, the PR guy too, right? Yeah. Um, and I would be the only one there, and I'm always like, God, they're like they, and you're like thinking it's a huge arena, and you're like, God, they probably want to turn off the lights and like lock the doors. I better go. Yeah. Like you're always like what? that. Um, but and then you get to like the NHL level where I'll be le- where I I did my one botcher project game. I left at like eleven. Uh, that night i left at 11 p.m or like 11 30 p.m yeah daniel wagner was still there yeah. uh i think woodley was still there like eh, like there were plenty of people still hanging around i'm like god this is the best like this is where i want to be yeah. and yeah that's that's hopefully where we're getting closer to with this with this team and everything like just the fact that you want to be in the building again like yeah. I personally had kind of taken a stance on like until they move something. I honestly was like, I'm not buying tickets. Like I don't buy a lot of tickets as it is. I'm, I have some, I have, I have friends that are often very nice and will like get me tick and will get mm-hmm. me a free ticket for something. Or like sometimes I've just lucked into a good seat. I have the, the, the student discount through school. Yeah. Student rush. Baby. But like, yeah, I was very much on the mindset of like until they, until the, the gym betting era is over, I really don't feel like buying tickets. Cause it's kind of just like just going to watch almost like a funeral. <laughs> And I, I and I or just like watch like the wake. It's the wake. Yeah. A uh, bit. And it's just it's just abysmal. But now I might actually be in interested in going to games again and seeing the process of this new team, this new GM management team kind of figure everything out and where they where they're going to go from here, especially in regards to like the trade deadline and everything, because honestly, that's the I, for me, that's the biggest part of this move now is that they can go into a trade deadline with this group and say and not have to be like we have to wait until the summer to figure this out no yeah, yeah. you have you have months now to yeah. literally decide what you're going to do you have in this, march you have this and and an olympic break that's true that's going to play in very well what as your well what going to do you have you have ample time to literally do what most teams yeah. don't often do, have the opportunity to do in their season and that is literally Prep and plan for a trade deadline and what you can get your assets out of. Because even when you're doing that in a normal year, you're competing for the playoffs. So you're only really focusing on that. And it's this idea of like, we'll get to the trade deadline as we go kind of thing, right? It's very much an afterthought for like late in the year. Can we pick somebody up for kind of cheap or what have you? Yeah. Um, This group literally has the ability to go in and say, okay – uh, this team is just gonna ha- is gonna do what it's doing yeah. for now, and There's we're not- gonna figure out the rest as we go along we're until gonna- that first and- major break. Yeah, and we have month, and we have a couple months to literally plan right down to a t to a science what we want to do. Yeah. for that, and then the and then the the, the months going out forward. Um, exactly. Yeah, this feels like. It feels like a good place to wrap it off. Yeah, it does. It, it does. We didn't even have time to t- – today, I thought – you know, I'll say this. Today, I thought we were – before yesterday, 
uh, based on what we know from what came out earlier today, I thought our main story might be might be about the the dog that pooped on the Flyers logo <laughs> at Center Ice. Just an hour and a half on a dog. Just an hour and a half logo. on. Now this is a, an important metaphor and a stepping stone <laughs> in Flyers history. Hashtag Poopgate. Uh, Hashtag Poop logo. Yeah, poop logo. That actually was really funny. Talk about another franchise that's really going through it right now. I don't know if you saw the score from the game yesterday. I believe no. it was at one point I looked. It was 7-1 Tampa. It was not going well. Ugh. Like, there might be the, like, they're, they're, I'm, I'm going to just say right now, they're not doing as badly as the Canucks. They don't get to, they do not get, or like, in terms of, like, well, up until yesterday, I guess. Yeah, 7-1 final. Do you, uh, do you think Travis Green ends up as the head coach in Philadelphia? That would be very funny if Elaine Fignot got replaced by Travis Green. <laughs> they just, all they need is torts in there for, like, two seconds as <laughs> yeah. an interim, and they've got the whole they got gang. Or Willie Desjardins in there somewhere. Oh my God, Willie Desjardins. He can be an assistant. What? He can be an assistant. Oh my, to what if Travis it's Green. Oh, you know what would be you know what would be Pete Canucks? Honestly, like it would be that they just hire an entire assist like bench of of former <laughs> like assistants of like as former like Canucks head coaches. Yeah. And then they go on and win a cup. Just a <laughs> All five of them. Of like five assistant coaches on the back end. Yeah, it's just it's Vigneault and hold, holding the cup. Next yeah. to Torts, oh Willie God. Desjardins, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Travis Green. Uh, oh, who else am I missing in there? There's someone. Uh, uh, somehow Mike Sullivan works his way back at, to Philly for some oh. reason. Uh, Mike Sullivan's doing great. That yeah. was a weird one that got away from them, huh? You know what's funny is that during that time, uh, Tortorella had some article where he was talking about Mike Sullivan, like while coach of the Canucks, and basically said, yeah, I'm I'm privileged to have him as an assistant. There's no way he's going to be an assistant for long. Any team like teams are stupid for not hiring him as their head coach. And like I just think if they had just fired Torts and kept Mike Sullivan and elevated him to like a head coach role. And they had an opportunity to 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 do that considering there was that whole awkward situation. Audit, right? Well, there was also the awkward situation where Torts obviously gets suspended for yeah. 11 games or whatever for trying to charge the <laughs> Calgary Flames locker room. And uh, Mike Sullivan, I believe, was in charge of the bench during that time. Him and Glenn Gullitson. I yeah. think, was Gullitson on that that staff or was that, uh, oh, yeah. That, I think it was. I think it might have been. I think Gullitson was the one guy who managed to be a holdover into Willie D's yeah. year. Like, he had been there with yeah, the... Yeah, because then he left off and became the coach for Calgary, Calgary. after... And then um, uh, Calgary yeah. went... God, Calgary yeah, loves our rejects, huh? They love our... <laughs> they love our... Uh, they Maybe. love our secondhand... Uh, our secondhand uh, coaches and well, players. can't hire Travis Green... Uh, can't do that. Yep. And yeah, I, I, I honestly like, I guess to wrap this all up and with put a nice bow on it. Um, I, I feel like at some point you and I might end up doing a show where it's just like talking about like maybe this is a Patreon things. episode. <laughs> no, I was going to say where we literally rehash the entire Benning era like on uh, a Patreon episode. But uh, like in the way of like hindsight, in the way that when somebody writes a book about this era, it's going to be fascinating. Um, yeah. I think the important part that we can all take away from this as we sit literally 20 minutes from the Canucks playing the Kings is that <laughs> we're finally through it. And this is, and again, this is the thing that I loved most about Wyatt's article was that he didn't focus. You're right. He didn't focus on the trade on the bad trades. He didn't focus on the terrible the, the signings, contracts. the contracts, the mismanagement of the cap, the, the quotes, all the, all the very Easy, low-hanging fruit that you could go for from Jim Benning, and I'm sure I'll have time to to write about it later. Um, he decided instead what his article focused on was the fact that it's done. 
and that the best part about it is that it's done is that it's now everybody can move on like there's and literally to the point where he's talking about the whole we don't have to have the conversation of but 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 Gillis but Benning like we don't have to do that anymore because we'll have somebody else in charge we can literally just sit back and enjoy the Canucks playing hockey every game matters now in the sense of there's no longer this idea of like oh my god if they if they win tonight we might have to sit through 40 more games of this or three more seasons of this right yeah it's this idea that now it's over you can actually we can actually move on as a franchise in the direction that we want to go it becomes a it becomes a good moment in the history of the franchise in theory if they make play their cards right they hire the right people that we can look on this as the beginning of getting back to uh, enjoying Canucks hockey as the way we used to and the way we did um, back at their, in their heyday. Like, that's back what we all want. Because that's what we all want at the end of the day. That's, that's what the true. ownership wants. That's what management wants. That's what the players want. And that's, that's what, what the we fans want. want. That's what the fans want. Exactly. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into our very first ever YouTube Live episode. We appreciate you guys for yeah, coming Yeah, for thanks for stopping by. Thanks that rocks. For, yeah, thanks for checking us out on uh, on YouTube. Make sure you hit subscribe because we yeah. do, even when we're not doing live shows, we also just put the full replays on, on here. You never ah, know. You never know. Um, I am Cody Sievertson. You can catch me on Twitter at Cody Sievertson. Uh, my Instagram handle, ahlnuxharvest.com. That's also my website as well. Check out the latest in game recaps and stats updates. I have four games to track over the next four days, so I'm going to be a ball of stress the entire time, so that's going to be really fun. Lachlan, where can they find your work? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Lock in the Crease. You can find my writing work at CanucksArmy.com. Uh, I just recently posted an article on there, um, which uh, of which I am forgetting what it was about. <laughs> I, it just, it's not <laughs> in front of me. it does exist. It does exist. I can guarantee you that. It does, in fact, exist. Um, yeah, go check, uh, check that out. Um, obviously, uh, we touched on the last episode that all of our video episodes are not only now on YouTube, they're also all on Spotify, which is yes, new, and every episode is going to be on there going forward, including this one. And uh, check out our Patreon. for fi- Yeah, we have a Patreon, five bucks a month. You can uh, get some bonus shows. You can get access to our Discord. We let you know who, what guests we got coming up and some, some other fun stuff as well. And is that everything, Cody? I think it is. Thanks, oh. everyone, for tuning in. Oh, well, you know what? There is one other thing. The, there is one other thing that I did want to ask you about. I don't know if you programmed this into the machine, but there is a button on here that says Yubnub. Oh. I don't know what that is. Do you know what that is? I do know exactly what it is. And we'll let Yubnub play us out. That Cheers, like everybody. Idea. That seems like a very good idea. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. <laughs>